today as we begin this year of St. Francis de Sales, having just recently celebrated on December 28th of 2022, the 400th anniversary of the death of St. Francis de Sales. Today on this first Saturday, I want to focus our talk uh, as a biography on the great patron saint of the Institute St. Francis de Sales. I'd like to start off today's talk with a funny anecdote of the humor of St. Francis de Sales. Now one day when Francis was with the Visentines in the interview garden, uh, the storm was looming and lightning was thought to hit soon. Suddenly it began to thunder so loudly that a young sister exclaimed, Monsignor, I'm afraid. The bishop replied with a smile, and he said, My daughter, do not be afraid, because the lightning falls only on saints and sinners, and you are neither holy nor a sinner. Now, St. Francis de Sales was born two months premature on August 21st, 1567, in the Chateau de Sales in the Duchy of Savoy, just south of Geneva, Switzerland. He was baptized the following day at the parish church of Torin, and from his premature birth, Francis was frail and delicate and suffered off and on from a weak health for the rest of his life. Francis was the oldest child to Francis de Sales. Francis is also the name of his father, and his father was a nobleman that was married to Madame Françoise de Boisy. Now, Boisy was one of the noblest families in Savoy, and thus his father often went by the title of Monsieur de Boisy instead of Monsieur de Sales, um, as Monsieur de Sales was from his family, but he took the more noble title often of Monsieur de Boisy from his wife. The young Francis's mother was about 15 years old when she gave birth to the young Francis. Before she was pregnant, if God would give her a child, she promised that she would give him to the Blessed Virgin Mary, a promise which she marvelously fulfilled. Now, Francoise was vigilant over Francis's education as a youth. Then with his tutor, Abbe Diage, at the age of eight, he went to the College of Annecy in a nearby town, the capital of the region, where he received his first communion, confirmation, and tonsure. Now, in those days, young men in ecclesiastical studies or those young men in, in schools uh, would often get tonsured as a cleric, um, thinking that they may one day be a priest, yet it wasn't a strict engagement uh, that they would one day be a priest. Francis's own father uh, was okay with him being tonsured, though he wanted his oldest son to have a successful secular career, such as a lawyer or a senator. Francis, however, saw this tonsure as a first step towards being a priest, a vocation that he secretly desired from a young age. Then at the age of 14, Francis went to the University of Paris and studied at the Jesuit College de Clermont, which was renowned for its learning and piety. Now his father wanted him to go to the College de Navarre, which is where many of the nobility of Savoy went, but Francis was able to 
you know, encourage his and, and get the blessing of his father to go to this college of Claremont that was run by the Jesuits um, because Francis wanted uh, a school that was more known for um, its piety. Now, his tutor, again, Abbe Deage, followed Francis to Paris. To satisfy his father's wishes, Francis studied philosophy and rhetoric in view of a secular career. Yet, Francis also studied theology, if you will, it was kind of like a, a double major. Here, Francis vowed perpetual chastity and put himself under the protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary. At the age of 18, Francis underwent a severe and difficult spiritual trial, which was an agonizing temptation to despair of his salvation. The love of God meant everything to Francis, but the conviction that he had lost God's grace and that he was doomed to eternally hate God for all eternity caused the most severe temptation to despair. Weeks turned into months, and his health declined, and death was feared at the door. While praying in front of the Black Madonna at the church called San Etienne, Francis made this prayer. Lord, if I am never to see thee in heaven, this at least grant me, that I may never curse nor blaspheme thy holy name. If I may not love thee in the other world, for in hell none praise thee, let me at least every instant of my brief existence here love thee as much as I can. Then, as Francis prayed the Memorari, again in the church of St. Etienne, all fear and despair left him, and the temptation was over. Now, from this difficult trial, Francis always dealt tenderly with those that were in spiritual difficulties and those of temptations of others when he was directing them. As a young student, Francis earned the respect of all for his learning, his maturity, and his piety. Then, after his graduation from the University of Paris, he pursued his doctorate in law at the University of Padua in Italy. Though the law degree was to please his father, Francis was also able to study again theology. Once again, unfortunately, Francis felt ill and his life was again despaired of and Francis was resigned to the will of God. The prayers for Francis' health were heard and his health was once again restored. At the age of 24, Francis received his doctorate in law and returned to the family castle of Tuil near the lake of Annecy. Francis was very tall and attractive and combined with his learning was destined for a very successful career in the world. His father had everything planned for him. He had arranged Francis to be a member of the Senate of Savoy, a very great honor, especially for such a young man to participate in. And his father even arranged the hand of an heiress of a young noble lady for Francis to marry. Now with her, Francis was courteous, but distant, as this was not his path, but that of his father. At this point, only Francis's mother and a cousin, Canon Louis de Sales, and very few close friends knew of Francis's desire to serve God in the priesthood. Francis declined his membership in the Senate. He declined the marriage with the heiress, and to his father's greatest dismay, the hardest for him to accept was Francis's desire 
to be a priest. Then at this time, the provost of the chapter of canons passed away, and Francis's own cousin, Canon Louis de Sales, consulted with the Bishop of Geneva, Claude de Granier, to appoint Francis as the provost of these canons. The bishop then, without consulting Francis or his family, wrote to the Pope for his approval, as the Pope was the only one who appointed the provost, and he quickly received approval from Rome. Francis was reluctant to accept this great honor, but he realized that this was the will of God and the only potential way that his father, still wanting a high position for his son, would accept for him to be a priest. At length, Monsieur de Boisy finally accepted, and the very same day, Francis put on a cassock that his mother had secretly sewn. Following his extensive theological training both in Paris and in Padua, after only six months, Francis was ordained a priest on December 18, 1593. Francis then as a priest followed in his devotion to his heavenly namesake, St. Francis of Assisi, and was the most devoted to the poor and the humble. He preached nearly every day and in a simple manner that charmed the people. Now in those days it was the custom to have Greek and Latin quotations embellish the sermons, but Francis, knowing that this often gets to the head of the scholars in seeking praise, preferred his sermons to be easily understandable and applicable to the hearers. In those days, because of armed hostilities, the condition of the people in the Chablay region to the south shore of the Lake of Geneva was in a religiously deplorable state following the ransacking and the ruining of the Catholic faith there by its crosses and its shrines being desecrated by the Protestants. Now, the Duke of Savoy, a Catholic, petitioned the Bishop of Geneva to send a missionary into this region. But he sent a mission was to do so was a death sentence given the open armed hostility of the Protestants. Now the bishop sent a priest to Tonon, the capital of the Chablais, but this first mission was without fruit and the priest was forced to withdraw. The bishop then put this matter before his chapter of canons and he laid out the difficulties of such a mission. Francis, well aware of the situation, volunteered and said, My lord, if you think I am capable of undertaking this mission, tell me to go. I am ready to obey and should be happy to be chosen. Bishop Claude de Granier was elated. Yet, once again, Francis's father, Monsieur de Boisy, still chagrined by the loss of his son to the church, ran to Annecy and said to the bishop as he fell on his knees, My lord, I allowed my eldest son, the hope of my house, of my old age, of my life, to devote himself to the service of the church to be a confessor, but I cannot give him up to be a martyr. The bishop was moved and then accepted the plea by Francis's father, but Francis retorted, would you make me unworthy of the kingdom of God? Having put my hand to the plow, would you have me look back? But his father said, I have no wish to resist the will of God, but I do not mean to be my son's murderer. 
I cannot be a party to his throwing away his life. May God do according to his good pleasure, but as to this undertaking, it shall never have my sanction. Thus, Francis had to begin his missionary efforts without the consolation of having his father's approval, but his cousin, Canon Louis de Sales, volunteered to be his companion. Then on September 14, 1594, less than nine months after his priestly ordination, Francis set out to win back the Chablais region to the Catholic faith. Six miles from Tonan, the capital of the Chablais, there was a garrison at the Chateau des Allanges, where the governor of the province promised safety for the two missionaries to return each night. In Tonan, there were about 20 Catholics left, but they were too afraid to declare themselves openly. Francis encouraged them to have courage and to have perseverance. Now, the daily walk from and back to Allange was very difficult, especially in the mountainous region in the winter. One evening, Francis was attacked by wolves and had to spend the night in the trees. Francis was found by peasants the next morning, and had they not revived him by the fire, he would have frozen to death. These peasants were Calvinists, but Francis didn't see this as a wasted opportunity, and by his words of charity and of the faith, he won their conversion. In January on 1595, Francis was attacked by would-be assassins, but their guns misfired. Francis's efforts bore little evident fruit with few conversions. His father then alternating between commanding and imploring his son to give up this hopeless mission. Francis now would preach daily missions, but often no one would come. Realizing that his sermons would not convert a hearer unless they were present, Francis began hand-copying leaflets expressing the Catholic faith and exposing the Calvinist errors. But Francis didn't always need to single out the errors of the Calvinists, as he later wrote to St. Jane de Chantal, I have always said that whoever preaches with love is preaching effectively against the heretics, even though he does not say a single controversial word against them. Francis spent all available time copying these sheets by hand for distribution as widely as possible. These leaflets would later form the volume called The Catholic Controversies. Francis also ministered to the soldiers at the Chateau des Allanges, who were Catholic but were very ignorant and immoral. In the summer of 1595, now about nine months after his arrival, Francis went up to the mountain of Voiron to repair an oratory of Our Lady that had been destroyed by the Protestants, but he was attacked, beaten, and insulted by a hostile crowd. Yet, shortly after this assault, his sermons in Tonan began to finally bear fruit as his tracts had been silently doing their work in converting the hearts and minds of the people. Conversions then began to be more frequent as the lapsed Catholics sought to be reconciled with the church. Then, after about three to four years of this apostolic work, the Chablais was ready for Bishop de Granier to administer confirmation 
and was able to see the fruit of Francis's self-sacrifice and untiring work. Now, the Cardinal du Perron once said, I hope that with God's help, the learning that he has given me is enough to convince heretics of their errors. But if you want to convert them, take them to my Lord of Geneva, Francis de Sales. God has given him a quality through which all those to whom he speaks come away converted. Now, when we speak in doing apologetics, it's important that we do not let our pride get in the way, as the goal is not to convince a heretic of their error, but to be the instrument through which God can touch their soul and their conversion. There are many people that are intellectually proud and that can convince a heretic of their errors, but only a saint can help in converting a soul. And that is through which those great prayers and merits of St. Francis de Sales, he was able to convert 72,000 souls of the Chablais from Calvinism to the Catholic faith. Francis also engaged Theodore de Bez, who was the successor of John Calvin. Now, the most poignant question that Francis said to him was this, Can a Catholic be saved? And if so, why start a new religion? Now, Theodore was struck because he couldn't deny the historical fact that Catholicism had been, to this point, the, the main religion of all Christianity. Yet he had to admit that he was a leader of a new religion. So Theodore claimed, Calvinism makes it easier to be saved. Then we can respond, as St. As Francis said, then Calvin must know better than Jesus Christ in founding a religion. Now, seeing the fruits of Francis's missionary efforts, earning him the title of the Apostle to the Chablais, Bishop de Grenier petitioned Rome to name Francis as his coadjutor bishop with the right of succession. Again, it seems that many people around Francis, his own father and the bishop, are always trying to promote Francis uh, against his humility and kind of against his will. But we also see that Francis, in humility, accepts that will of God uh, when it is to a higher position. Um, humility insofar as we know that we're unworthy, but with God's grace, um, and if we correspond to that grace, then we will you know, be faithful in executing God's will. But Francis resisted to this at first, um, but as he saw that the bishop persisted, Francis began to see that this was the divine will. Then following another near-death illness, Francis set out to Rome where he would be interrogated um, before he was appointed bishop. So Francis was interrogated in front of Pope Clement VIII and the would, future would-be Saint Robert Bellarmine, Cardinal Baronius, and other eminent theologians that asked him 35 difficult theological questions, but Francis answered with simplicity, with clarity, and modesty. And thus, Francis was unanimously confirmed and approved by the interrogators. And one of the interrogators said, never before had a candidate for the episcopate so satisfied all of their questions. Then in 1601, Francis's father passed away. Francis was then sent on an apostolic mission to the king of France to obtain favors for the region of Savoy. 
Now Francis was advised to first uh, be consecrated bishop, but he preferred to go as a simple priest. And then once in Paris, Francis's reputation had preceded him, and he won the admiration of so many in Paris as the chapels that he went to preach were not big enough to contain all those that wanted to hear him preach. He won the admiration of the king who granted nearly all of his requests for the Savoy region. Then in the fall of 1601, Bishop de Granier died and Francis succeeded him as Bishop of Geneva. Now again, following the Protestant revolt led by the Calvinists in Geneva, the Bishop of Geneva was not to reside in Geneva as his cathedral and all of the priests had been exiled. And so they had taken refuge in the nearby town of Annecy, um, where the bishop was um, and um, the, the makeshift, if you will, uh, cathedral, the temporary cathedral for the bishop. Francis's chancery lived on the strictest economy and Francis gave himself in an extreme zeal to all of his Episcopal duties in distributing the sacraments, in instructing, in giving catechism, and in preaching. Francis promoted the teaching of the catechism in his diocese himself, preaching uh, in Annecy as the bishop. He loved children and the poor, and they in turn loved him. Francis was always gentle with souls, but never weak, and he knew when to be firm when kindness did not in initially succeed. Francis used the expression to have an iron fist and a velvet glove. The iron fist to show the strength um, and, the, and the substance that has to lie behind of not compromising on our faith and the essentials, but also at the same time as being soft and gentle to the touch. Uh, so on the outside, we're warm and inviting and welcoming, uh, but at the same time that we still have that substance to really draw them um, you know, to that strength and the truth of our Catholic faith. In 1604, Francis preached the Lenten sermons in the Diocese of Dijon. Now, beforehand, Jeanne de Chantal had a vision in which it was revealed to her in a dream that a new spiritual director would be given her by God. During these Lenten sermons, Jane recognized the face of Francis as the man chosen by God to lead her soul, the man that she had seen in her dream. And then also Francis beforehand had revealed to him that God wanted him to start a religious order with the help of a woman whom he later recognized as Jeanne de Chantal. Now we'll see later on that the order of the visitation will be founded six years later in 1610. Francis maintained a voluminous correspondence uh, with many, many um, of his day from nobility to um, people of you know, simple um, simple vocations. A local nobleman by the name of Madame de Chamoisy requested Francis's spiritual direction, and his letters to Madame de Chamoisy became the foundation and basis for his work that was to be published in 1608 called The Introduction to the Devout Life. This spiritual cl classic was an instant success and was immediately translated into several languages. And to all, I'd recommend that you read the introduction to the devout life many times. Um, often we can go through reading it, either we're daydreaming, um, and we don't always get as much as we can out of it. Uh, but there is so much 
to meditate upon, so much wisdom uh, to really uh, nourish our spiritual life um, that to read it once uh, would not be to do it justice. It takes many times to really uh, better appreciate um, you know, these spiritual classics. Um, we once had a superior in the Institute uh, who used the expression, um, you know, in the spiritual life we can eat steak or we can eat a hot dog. If you want steak, something to really nourish, um, you know, your appetite and satisfy your appetite, you can, you know, read a spiritual classic written by a saint or a doctor uh, of, of the church, something that is going to give that tried and proven um, substance to our soul. Whereas on the other hand, if you want to a hot dog, if you will, for uh, your spiritual life. You can read just you know your average modern Catholic book, um, you know, written you know uh, you know in the recent uh, in the recent 50 years or so. It's not to say that there can't be you know some nourishment there, um, but it's not going to be nearly the nourishment that you would get as from those spiritual classics of the saints and the doctors uh, of the church. Um, you know, life is too short to. To, uh, to read bad books, and so why not read the best of books that we can from the saints and the doctors of the church. Now, going on, in 1610, Francis lost the human consolation of his mother, who had been not just a mother to him, but truly a sister soul uh, to her son, uh, from whom his gentle and calm demeanor were largely borrowed. Uh, we'll see later on that his brother, uh, Jean-Francois um, took much after um, the, um, the much after his father as he was very um, kind of bitter um, and very very uh, very rough around the edges but Francis really borrowed a lot from uh, from from that of his mother in the same year of 1610 the order of the visitation of Mary was established in the Galli house in Annecy uh, with Saint Jane de Chantal as the feminine co-founder with St. Francis. Now, St. Jane and St. Francis were quite possibly the closest spiritual friends uh, that ever existed on earth between two canonized saints. I'm sure there's other examples uh, of other very, very close saints, but um, St. Francis and St. Uh, Jane de Chantal have to definitely rank up there as some of those closest um, spiritual souls on earth. St. Jane lived much longer than St. Francis, and thus she was able to continue his spirituality um, for you know, many decades after Francis uh, through her direction of the visit to deans. Francis was frequently asked uh, to preach Lenten missions um, both inside and outside his diocese because of the great spiritual conversions that his words produced with God's grace. Um, there's many books that have been translated uh, into English that have those uh, beautiful sermons of St. Francis. There's one on Advent and Christmas. There's another one on Our Lady. There's another book on prayer. Um, those are all that I can think of right now, but uh, there's many, many books uh, that we can read from these, uh, these great sermons of St. Francis. In 1616, Francis wrote his mystical work, the Treatise of the Love of God. Um, and this was one of Francis's uh, favorite works that he uh, had written. Between 1618 and 1619, Francis de Sales met Vincent de Paul and entrusted the House of the Visitation in Paris to him. Vincent de Paul would say of St. Francis, Never since our Lord walked this earth has a man more resembled him than Francis de Sales. And also, St. Vincent 
uh, said of him, This servant of God so well was conformed to the divine pattern that I often asked myself with amazement how a created being, given the frailty of human nature, could reach so high a degree of perfection. Going over his words in my mind, I have been filled with such admiration that I am moved to see in him the man who of all others has most faithfully reproduced the love of the Son of God on earth. Now, if these are the words of one saint about another saint, it can give us great uh, great admiration for Francis. Now, before we think that this was just easy for Francis, that this was um, you know, something maybe due to a natural temperament, um, Francis was by his natural temperament not a slouch nor easygoing. It was his long-fought mastery over his faults that gained his patience, his serenity, and calmness, um, for he was, in fact, very choleric uh, by his natural temperament. Uh, after his death was found grooves in his wooden desk where his nails had worn away when Francis heard difficult news and he was searching for a healthy way to release um, you know, his anger or his temper. Um, it was this long-fought battle to master himself by patience and humility um, that he became known for his good manners, his patience, and his uh, amiability to all. In Francis's day, many thought that he was too merciful, too indulgent to sinners, uh, to, to a fault. Um, that he was you know, not strong enough in correcting uh, the faults of sinners. But Francis would reply, If there were anything more excellent than meekness, God would certainly have taught us to do it. And yet there is nothing to which he so earnestly exhorts all as to be meek and humble of heart. Why would you hinder me from obeying the command of my Lord? Can we really be better advised in these matters than God himself. Now, Francis de Sales also had humor. Let us remember the words of St. Francis who said, a sad saint is a sorry saint. By that he meant that, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a Christian who does not have joy is a, not the greatest example of, uh, of Christianity because they don't fully have that Christian joy of salvation as we know that uh, um, you know the, the, the gospel is meant to be the good news. Um, and so uh, we should also have that interior uh, joy about us. Now, one example of Francis' humor was one day while eating dinner uh, with his brother Jean-Francois, who had an irritable temper. Um, Francis was a little bit late to dinner because he was meeting with uh, giving spiritual direction to a woman. And... Of course, his brother lacked a little bit of patience, like his oldest brother, and Francis said to him, Well, at least there is one happy woman in the world. And then Francis' brother said, well, well, who is that? And Francis said, Well, the one you would have taken as your wife if you had married. Another example of Francis' humor, um, at another time when Jane de Chantal was still a young widow in uh, the world, she wore an extravagant dress with lace around her neck. And Francis said to her, Madam, I didn't know that you were intending to get married again. And she said, I am not. Then he replied, Then lower the flag. Further, on uh, St. Francis's sales uh, humor, we have uh, this story. Uh, during his mission in the Chablais, 
he was confronted many times um, by the criticism of the Catholic faith by this woman. She approached him every day to tell him of her grievances against the Catholic faith, and every day Francis, you know, kindly welcomed her, and you know, with his patience, he overcome, you know, her resistance, except on all the all the topics except one, which was the celibacy of priests. She wasn't going to accept that priests should be celibate. Then one day, when for the umpteenth time that she returned to the subject, Francis said to her softly, Come, my good lady, answer me a little. Will I have time to answer your questions and objections if I had a wife and children? She was taken aback, and she reflected for a long time, and finally she recanted and was received into the Catholic Church. Uh, another story from Francis, and this time from the pulpit, a uh, certain woman was always made a point of contradicting her husband, uh, and tragically she fell into a river and drowned. The husband then dragged the river uh, for her body, uh, but he went upstream instead of downstream. When the bystanders pointed out to him that the current must surely have carried it lower down, his answer was, Do you imagine that even her dead body could do anything except contradict me? And then the one final story on St. Francis's uh, humor. One day a nun was preoccupied uh, with her spiritual life. And eager to confide in the bishop of Geneva, she hastily ran into his office and asked, Monsignor, what must I do to become a saint? He replied, for starters, you can learn how to quietly enter without slamming the door. Now, as we close in on the end of Francis's life, in 1622, the Duke of Savoy asked Bishop Francis to join him on a visit to meet King Louis XIII at Avignon. Francis hoped to attain certain privileges for the French-speaking part of his diocese, and thus he consented. Francis seemed to have a good idea that this was near his end, as before setting off, he put all of his affairs into order. While on the mission, Francis lived the same austere life that he had always lived. Then while at Lyon, on his return home, he sought to live in the gardener's cottage, refusing to live in the guest house of the visitation. Though his health was not then robust and he was in need of rest, Francis did not spare any efforts in caring for his souls and he preached right up until the last days. A nun asked him what virtue he specifically wished that they should cultivate. He then took a sheet of paper and wrote in large letters, humility. Through the bitter cold of the winter, in the advent of Christmas in 1622, Francis continued preaching, and again this time at Lyon on his return back. But unfortunately, on St. John's Day, December 27th, 1622, he was taken ill with a paralytic seizure or a cerebral hemorrhage. He endured with patience and docility the torturous methods of the medicine at that time, which recommended bleeding hastening his own death. He received the last sacraments and laid murmuring scriptural verses, Expectans expectavi dominum et intendit mici, et exaudivit preces meas et eduxit me de lacu miseri et de luto fecis. With expectation I have waited for the Lord, and he was attentive to me, and he heard my prayers and brought me out of the pit of misery and the filthy mire. From Psalm 39. The last words that Francis was heard to utter was the name Jesus. It was on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, December 28, 1622, 
just over 400 years ago at the age of 58. I'm sorry, actually he was aged 55 when he died. The beatification of Francis had to wait 40 years until 1662, but was the first solemn beatification to take place in the new St. Peter's Plaza in Rome. He was canonized three years later in 1665, and the day of his death, which had already been taken by the Feast of the Holy Innocents, his feast day was January 29th, that of the translation of his body to the convent of the Visitation in Annecy. He was then declared a doctor of charity, a doctor of the church in 1887, and Pope Pius XI named him as the patron saint of journalists. Now, in closing, some of the most famous biographies translated into English are The Spirit of St. Francis de Sales uh, by Bishop Camus, that's uh, C-A-M-U-S, and in modern times by Abbe Hamon, the life of St. Francis de Sales, and also the life of St. Francis de Sales by Monsignor W.G. Trochu, T-R-O-C-H-U. Very good. So I hope that you are um, beginning well this year of St. Francis de Sales, this year of the 400th anniversary of his death. And I highly encourage you uh, to pick up your introduction to the devout life um, and read just one chapter a day. They're very, very short. Um, often you can read them in less than five minutes. It's usually two to three pages for, for a chapter. And again, there's much spiritual um, depth and richness that we can uh, pull from, from the spiritual classic. And also St. Francis de Sales is, is great for um, you know, the traditional movements as sometimes we can be stereotyped uh, by you know, like hardliners or by rigorism. Whereas St. Francis de Sales, using the traditions of the church, using the beauty of the liturgy, really pulls us into the most essential aspect um, you know, of, of spirituality, which is our charity. Um, he's a very intense um, and very ascetic uh, spirituality as he relies less on the exteriors of uh, fastings and rosaries and external penances because he's all about performing that interior spiritual circumcision uh, to really ha have our hearts uh, purified. And we also know that later on, St. Francis de Sales, uh, one of his daughters, uh, would be um, the one who would receive the visions of um, the Sacred Heart uh, at Pre Le Monial. Uh, and so we see already that St. Francis de Sales is, in a way, preparing for um, that great devotion to the Sacred Heart, which would be very instrumental in combating um, that rigorous Jansenist heresy that would follow um, after him. So I hope that you've enjoyed this, uh, this conference on uh, the life of St. Francis de Sales, and I wish you a very blessed year of St. Francis de Sales. Thank you and God bless.